Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback, and my guest today is Jesse Curtis. Jesse is a strength and conditioning coach and defensive backs coach at Manny High School in Louisiana. Jesse is able to blend many concepts of strength and conditioning to achieve great success with his athletes' development. From transitioning to sprint-based football training, to incorporating concepts of triphasic training, to the neurological benefits of Signal 6. Don't forget, the bold-based performance Athletes with Asthma course is online. This course will benefit any coach that wants their athlete to breathe better, run faster, jump higher, and recover quicker. You can find it in the show notes or at boldbaseperformance.com. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. Whether it was elementary school, middle school, high school, what prompted you to get invested in that and how did it grow from there? Well, if I go all the way back to the beginning, I grew I grew up in a very uh, – a family that was heavily influenced by sports. My uh, grandfather played football at the collegiate level. He played at Louisiana Tech with actually with Terry Bradshaw during that time. Um, uh-huh. I'm from you know Louisiana, so he played at Louisiana Tech. And uh, we've we're kind of ate up with football. We love football and pretty much any sport. So growing up, we were always outside, always playing around, and uh, always throwing the Nerf football around and playing wiffle ball and all those different things and just having a fun time. You know what a, what a lot of people say nowadays, kids probably need to do more of it. It is what it is, but I just grew up with sports around me all of my life. Uh, as I transitioned into high school, I, I played several sports, and uh, they, they kept my interest. And, again, my, my father was always interested in sports. And once I once I kind of got out of high school, I, I kind of transitioned away from sports for a little bit. And and I think whenever you leave something, you figure out how much you really love something. People say that often. And I figured out how much I loved the game of football and I figured out how much I loved the strength and conditioning aspect of it. And that led me down a road of, number one, probably working out more than I ever did whenever I actually played sports. And then number two, learning more about the process of, of building effective athletes, uh, you know, for sport. So it's it's been a lifelong thing. Each portion of my life has had a different uh, feel to it and, it, and I've grown in different ways. But sports has always been around my life, and it's something that I think is just a valuable part of anyone's life if if they really want to buy into that. Did you grow up with siblings? Actually, I was the only child for like 12 years. And then my parents had a kid whenever I was around 12 or 13 years old, I had a sister. So I was mostly an only child growing up, but I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids my age. So it was kind of like I had brothers and sisters who were outside playing all the time. And, you know, I didn't have the only child syndrome. I was on the block with the other kids. I think that's key to get involved in sports early on. I had three brothers who were all pretty close in age. And then the other people I've talked to who don't have siblings, they grew up in a neighborhood or they had a bunch of cousins that were similar ages and they all got involved in sports. And that's how it kind of manifested. Because I do think it's really hard if you're an only child to get involved, especially in team sports, whether it's, you know, football, basketball, lacrosse, volleyball, hockey, whatever, because you're always by yourself and you you don't really have someone to throw the ball with or shoot hoops with or, you know, things like that. 
So it sounds like you had a good constructive environment for that with all your neighbors growing up. Absolutely. We had a good time. A lot of uh, street hockey and wiffle ball games and uh, two-end touch football and all that good stuff. Oh, those are the good days. And then you, at some point in your life, it just you get away from that. And then there's not really a good reason why. And maybe we have this pressure to feel like an adult or do adult things or to do adult activities. But I do think every now and then, like I'll play a game of touch football or I'll, you know, go out in the backyard and we'll have like a home run derby and things like that. And it brings back so many good memories. And I just kind of question myself, why do we get away from some of these, you know, primitive sporting events or, and uh, why do we transition out of that? And when it brought us so much joy when we were kids. Absolutely. Last year, like we were, we played something called like fleet ball, where it's almost like rugby uh, with our, with our, but we don't tackle. It's obviously, it's like two end touch, but you can throw the ball anywhere with our football team. And they were short guys. And I said, you know what, let's jump in. Me and our defensive coordinator jumped in and played quarterback for him. And I mean, we just, before we knew it, we were getting down, we were, we were going down the field for pass patterns and stuff. So it's a fun time and it takes you back for sure. Absolutely. And that's a joy too. Once you start, um, working with younger kids or if you have nieces or nephews or start having your own kids you can resort to more of that stuff more often i think that's why a lot of people like getting into coaching because it brings out similar feelings of this excitement this joy this energy that that sports provides when you were playing sports growing up did you see strength and conditioning as that same kind of joy and energy and passion or did you see it or how did you view it just in general I just thought it was a necessity. I, d- I didn't understand probably the ins and outs of it. And I think that the field of strength and conditioning has changed so much probably since even whenever I played. I feel like it is such a vital aspect, even at the high school level in this day and age, because everyone's doing it. You know, uh, even whenever I was playing, which was in like 2007, I feel like the weight room and speed training for sure has has drastically changed since then. So I just feel like it's become such a bigger aspect that I did not fully understand it. I will say that as a, even as a kid, like I was in sixth grade, I would come up here. My uncle was a coach at that time and I would go up to the weight room. I would watch the boys lift and every now and then I would throw some five pounds uh, plates on the bar or whatever and get a couple reps in. So I was around it for a long time. I just feel like I didn't really fully understand what was going on and it's just become so much more important and ingrained in sport in this day and age. Let's go back to 2007. What did a typical strength training program for football look like? What did a typical speed training program, uh, football program look like? Speed training, probably a lot of 150s with minimal rest. Um, so They're terrible. Sounds, sounds, like, sounds like conditioning to me. Uh, and then as far as weight training, I mean, we were – Doing some some of the movements that I still utilize to this day, uh, but I would say that technique might not have been as focused on and a scaffolding of skills was not utilized. It was kind of like the barbell is going to be moved uh, and we weren't kind of building up into that uh, with my program. And I'm, I'm building up from a, from ground level. You know, we started with isometrics of my kids to give them positional awareness. So I feel like scaffolding for, for things have changed. You're building on concepts so that you can get to the big thing, not just jumping in the river right away. The simple use of isometrics, just even just blows my mind right now because growing up, it was always the full range of motion. It was never, you know, we're going to work on slow eccentrics. We're never going to hold isometrics. We're never going to work on speeding up, you know, concentric movement. It was always just, you know, start at the top, go all the way for a squat, start at the top, go all the way down, all the way up. And there's no, 
there's no really variation in tempo. And maybe that was the simplest way they could do it to get the most amount of people working, but even implementing, what kind of isometrics are you using with your kids nowadays? Well, for that first block that I that I used for about a month with my kids, and we did a couple of other things, but these were just uh, like 30 second, you know, regular isometric holds, not long duration, not yielding isometrics, but I use a ton of isometrics throughout the year, uh, just depending on what time of the year I'm in. So these were just trying to teach them what muscles are pulling you into a squat and, and getting positional awareness in the squat. And I I do a lot of stuff with the nervous system. So I feel like that's, you know, stimulating the nervous system and it's, it's teaching you the correct positional awareness. And we did lunge pattern and we did a hinge pattern and we did foot tension. I focus a ton on the ankle and foot complex and we did push and pull. So I tried to really give them anything that they would be doing in the weight room and create that positional awareness and that comfort while also realizing what muscles pull me into this movement and finding comfort there. Dive a little bit deeper into that foot and ankle complex more. That always interests me because I think we either neglect it or we don't contribute an exercise to the benefit of the foot ankle complex. So what kind of exercises are you using there? Well, of course, every single strength coach is just a robber of other people's programs. So <laughs> I, I use Chris Corfist and Cal Dietz, uh, spring sure. ankle exercises. I also implement some of Alex Natera's uh exercises, isometric exercises where you're pushing against pins, uh, probably like you're in a max V portion of a sprint, getting an active ankle, and then also teaching them uh, dorsiflexion in the in the front foot as well. Uh, I myself was ignorant to this until a couple of years ago. I actually went and watched Cal Dietz talk about a year back, and he just kept talking about the foot. And I was like, why have I not been thinking about this? And so then I just started diving down the rabbit hole, and I started reading about, you know, the importance of the foot and how it contributes to elasticity and the return of energy whenever you're sprinting. And so I said, forget it. I have to do this. And if you, if you were to ask me today, you said you can train one body part. I'm starting with the foot because the foot leads to the glute and all my kids do this uh, strategically throughout the year. We're already started on them right now. Uh, and they'll continue to build up through that spring ankle model uh, throughout the entire program. It's, and I, I tell you what, it's, it's keeping them away from injury as well. And just, and just teaching them to store energy effectively as well. So it's just building a more holistic athlete, which is what I'm interested in. That's been my kind of focus here over the last two years is I've found I want a whole athlete. I want to encompass so many different things and I want to have explosive and holistic athletes on on the field. Let's dive into that a little bit more. What is what does holistic mean to you when training the high school athlete? I think it means that you're able to continue to progress somebody throughout an entire year. I feel like one of one of the things that I learned over time, I, I started as a weight room guy, ad- admittedly, and I still love the weight room and the weight room has tons of value, but I have, I had to identify my weaknesses personally. And one of my weaknesses was understanding speed development and how the weight room can contribute or take away from that. And to me, a holistic athlete is going to be able to progress throughout an entire year. And I, what I was doing originally, I was getting kids extremely strong, uh, but how much of that was honestly transferring to the field. So instead of going just for max strength, I've really started looking at, of course, I want to develop some max strength with high school kids. Max strength is important because most kids lack it, but there's a cutoff point to where you lose the benefit of that. And I've really grown to love the idea of power production in regards to 
the weight room. And I feel like that transitions better to field sports, which is what I mostly focus on. And I feel like it transitions better to speed. So if you were to ask me, a holistic athlete is going to have strength, uh, a certain profile of strength, but they're not a power lifter if you're playing a field sport. They're going to be able to accelerate and, and hold max V uh, well. They're going to be able to produce power. And because I'm I'm kind of a power fiend, I'm a rate of force development person. I mm-hmm. coach football and at the line of scrimmage, your 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 max on your lift doesn't really matter if my rate of force production is higher than yours. So a holistic athlete to me is a powerful, explosive, speed-based athlete that's able to transfer that to the field. When we talk about max strength, I think a lot of coaches understand at some point. The, the rate of return or the risk of injury, it kind of levels off at a, at a certain point. Do you have any objective measurements for that? The one I've seen for a squad is like a 1.7 times body weight. And then it kind of, the, the benefits don't necessarily always outweigh the risk. Once you get past that, do you have any objective measurements or is it more of kind of the eye test where it's like this kid looks pretty strong. So we need to focus more on power, speed, agility, acceleration, things of that nature. I love, I love the, the exact terms of that measurement. Uh, I'm coaching roughly between 75 and 85 kids and I have so many different hats. I wear, I can't look at every single kid and say, you match that profile and give you a thumbs up. Right. Uh, so in that, in my position, I can't, you know, measure it that exact. Uh, I okay. am looking and, and seeing how our strength progresses, but naturally built into my programming, the way, the way that I got out of getting into these plateaus and just focusing on max strength is I started dipping in and out of various blocks and keeping things fresh because if mm-hmm. you actually get away from max strength for a little while, you're going to end up getting stronger in the in the long haul right. in a way that's beneficial to sport. So to me, it's just kind of built into my programming that I understand that most likely my kids are going to peak right here strength wise. And then I can move into another value and then come back to it later. And that's how I've avoided these plateaus. That's how I've kept it fresh. And that's how I've I've really continued to advance my athletes on a year round basis. When you were in high school, did you lift in season and did you see the value of, if you did or didn't, did you see the value of lifting in season? I did not lift in season. Uh, and I, I didn't understand the value of that. And I will 100% uh, pretty much say that whenever I started as a strength coach, I did not fully understand how to, probably build an effective in-season program. But in the last two years, I think my biggest growth has been in my in-season programming and the way that I, that I build that throughout the year and I'm able to keep them fresh. Like in a COVID year, most people are just hoping that they got to play. I felt like this year we advanced and advanced and advanced and obviously it worked. We, we had a good year. We ended up winning a state championship. So, so that all worked out, but it's, that has been a really big revelation for me, how to advance an athlete throughout an entire year's period, including in season. Do you also see the same value of working on speed, acceleration, max velocity in season as well? That is something I'm working on building right now. I feel like last year I used the weight room a lot to continue to do power production and and uh, velocity-based things uh, because that can transfer somewhat to speed training. Right now I'm building a program where I'm planning to microdose speed uh, at least two days out of the week for, before my practice takes place and before they get you know fatigued from practice so that they can continue to dip into that. So absolutely, I've been working on that for about two months and it's something I'm going forward with in the future. 
How have your injury rates changed since you've implemented, like, as you've evolved as a strength coach, a strength and speed coach, whatever you want? There's so many terms for all we do these days, but as you evolve as a coach, how have your injury rates changed? Have you noticed anything? Uh, we, we did not have a lot of injuries this year, and I, I do attribute that to being to having a more holistic approach and continuing to provide various uh, measures to keep my athletes safe, working on, you know, preventing ACL tears and and uh, ankle stability and, and all those different things. Uh, I We did have some, you know, non-contact related injuries in the past. I do feel like my kids are more resilient right now. I don't have the exact statistics, but I would right. say – they're definitely more bulletproof, but nothing's perfect. Obviously you can always work on something. No, I just saw a post on that. Actually, I think it was this morning where player got hurt and the trainer just explained like all injuries are multifactorial. There's a lot that goes on as a coach or as a trainer, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. But if just it's a be- contact injury, which football has a lot of it, right. you know, there's not a lot you can do there. It's just, that's the, the nature of the game, the inherent risk when you're playing, a sport like football, you're going to have some of those injuries. Things like hamstring pulls and stuff, that that's definitely down, I would say, 100%. And that's huge, too, because those those are tricky. They they seem to take forever to heal. They seem to come back. Scares and, you. You just, you're scared, you know, where, where do you go next? You know, you're not in that kid's body, so you're always kind of scared. You don't know what they're feeling. It plays a, a big mental toll on the athlete. Same with an ACL tear or chronic ankle sprains. I think the mental tear, concussions – it really wears on them, not only physically, mentally, emotionally, on how they see themselves as an athlete or performing or getting to the next level if they're always trying to worry about not getting hurt again. Absolutely. That's that's kind of why, you know, I, I've mentioned like signal six and all that type of stuff. Like people don't even realize how they're, they're uh, they perceive things as being unsafe. I mean, you, your body is perceiving things as being unsafe that you don't even know about. Let's dive into that a little bit. You mentioned the neurological aspect uh, of training and sports, and that's definitely something. I graduated high school in 2010, and I didn't know the nervous system, you know, up from down. I knew the brain, spinal cord, and maybe a couple other things, but I had no idea the importance of the nervous system in being an athlete. I thought it was all muscles. You know, you have, you know, obviously like ACL, like I knew that, but didn't really know how the nervous system connected at all. What have you learned? Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. What have you learned most about the nervous system lately, whether we're talking RPR or talking signal six, what dive into that here? Yeah, I can just kind of jump into a couple of things. Number one, the nervous system can intimidate people. And I am no different with that. There's days I'll be reading about the nervous system and I'm just like, this is way beyond uh, what I'm ready to jump into. But then there's things that I see and things start clicking together. And I feel like even if you don't want to dive too deeply into the nervous system, there's a couple of things that you can do to make sure that you're training people correctly and through a neural aspect or through a neural lens. Number one, you mentioned RPR, RPR. I took the uh, RPR one and they're not lying whenever they say you're going to be looking at things through a different lens. I came out of that. And of course, everybody's thinking muscle, muscle, muscle. And I come out of that and I, and I realized that I guess the best thing I can compare the nervous system to is like a computer, uh, you, you have all these input, various inputs going on, and it's just it's just like search engines, basically. Whatever's being input to the system, you're going to get various uh, things that pop up from that. So RPR completely and totally changed 
uh, the way that I view things. And I kind of posted some things on Twitter today and I was tying together these ideas of what low hanging fruit is because I always hear people say that speed is a low hanging fruit. And they're absolutely right about that. But I think the other two aspects that I mentioned as low hanging fruit that I'm that's ripe and I'm ready to pick is breathing and the nervous system. And it's amazing how those three aspects tie together seamlessly and they they just run together. Everything connects in that. Number one, you breathe every single second of your life, just about uh, most of us overbreathe. You you know this stuff. You have a great uh, course, you know, your athletes with asthma course. Uh, most people have read The Oxygen Advantage, and that's a great book as well. And that threw me for a loop. I read that book, and then I began to realize that just by altering my breathing, I'm able to alter the state in which my body is reacting with the world, basically. So you don't have to go down too deep of a rabbit hole to begin to allow to train neurally, in my opinion. And one of the ways that I implemented that this year is now I use RPR as my team. We do it before our weight training and and sprinting sessions, and we definitely do it before game day. And it's just this sense of calmness and it's this sense of purpose. I, I call it visualize the victory. All of my guys lay down on the floor. Everything quiets down. and I tell them it's time to visualize the victory. It's time to think about what you have to execute on on this day and to calm yourself down. And we do four by four box breathing for about five minutes before we ever even start our PR to get us into that PNS response. It's so simple because uh, breathing ties so intricately into the nervous system. Uh, a little bit deeper into the nervous system, I've been playing around with the idea of reflexes and reflexes are something that's just natural. It's just your response. You know, if you touch something hot, your hand's going to draw back. But at the same time, within your within your gait pattern and whenever you are sprinting, there's the stumble reflex and the extensor reflex and all these different things. And people don't think that reflexes can be changed. But if you continue to input things into the system and make people more aware and make them comfortable in these positions, then reflexes can change and they can become more effective and you can become a better sprinter. So that's how the nervous system ties to sprinting, how does sprinting tie to the nervous system. Sprinting is the best way to really get into the nervous system. It's the best way to build the nervous system if you do it right. All this is based around stress. I used to look at how I program for my athletes as how much are they running? How much are they lifting? Uh, Maybe a little volume and intensity, but I did not think of it as stress. But everybody knows about the gas principles. And if you keep somebody in the resistance stage for too long, it turns into exhaustion and then things become counterproductive. So everything that I just talked about, including breathing, sprinting, and our nervous system all has to do with how we interact with stress. Uh, We talked about social media a little bit offline. Everything around us has the opportunity to stress us in a way that is going to compromise us. And if we're compromised, we're not performing fully. Uh, Signal six is is something else that I utilize. And I view flexibility in a different way. Everybody's focusing muscle, 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 stretch your muscles and, and static stretching and things like this. I won't go into everything that Signal Six is. It's a very, it's a very uh, cost-friendly course. I'm going to do Square One eventually. I'm doing Signal Six right now because I can implement that with every athlete on my team at one time, uh, as a warm-up or as a cool-down or in between sessions. All I'm teaching my kids to do, I think it's important to put people in positions like I talked about with isometrics earlier. If I tell a kid that they need to flex something or that they need to extend something. I'm taking for granted that they might not understand exactly what that means. What Signal 6 allows me to do is to build understanding through the spine, through the uh, thoracic spine, through the hips, through the knees, and through the ankles. And those are 
vastly important whenever you are sprinting. So all it's allowing me to do is teach people uh, the different move, movement patterns that they're going to encounter at the same time. Theoretically, signal six should draw out the compensation patterns. You induce a little stress and then the compensation patterns start coming out. I've been using it for about a month. I've been pleased with the results that I've seen. Just like whenever you implement RPR or signal six, you always worry, how are the kids going to take this? Mm -hmm. And the first day I did it, I could tell there was some skepticism, but sure. I looked at him, I said, I'm looking at you right now. And I just saw every single thing change in the way that you moved from the first round of this to the third round of this. Before this, you could not uh, move your ankles effectively. Before this, there was no flexion in your spine. Either you're beginning to understand what that means or either your body's becoming comfortable and moving that manner. People cue and cue and cue and cue kids to death. And I'm not against providing kids with cues, but you're overloading them with information. I would rather put them in the position, let them feel it, let the brain perceive it and let them work it out. And then if they need help, I'm going to come back in. You're definitely speaking my language there with the breathing, the sprinting nervous system. This might turn into a little bit of a rant, but when I first bring up RPR to people, either it's usually one of two responses. One, they use it, they love it and they have great results. And two, they look at you like, there's no way I would ever use this. This looks you know, made up, phony, whatever, you know, whatever word. And then my first reaction is, okay, just, it takes two minutes. It's free. Like I'll show you how to do it. It's really easy to use. And there's, there's no side effects, like nothing. If at the worst thing, you don't feel anything. We just move on with the day. The other thing is when they want you to explain it in like, what's the research on it, you know, things like that. There's two things with that. One is, when I'm doing RPR, like on myself, like if you and I were doing a training program, I'm doing RPR, you aren't, or you're doing a, a placebo. It's really hard to, with any manual technique to have a, an adequate placebo. Cause you can tell if you're getting pressed on or not. Second thing, athletes will, they'll drink coffee or they'll listen to good music. And like, they intuitively know those things are going to help their workout or their performance. And they don't need a question and coaches know this too. They don't need to question all the research behind it or all these different, you know, meta-analysis or case studies. They just know that it feels good. And when you do RPR, you feel a little bit lighter. You feel like you can move a little bit better and then you just, you can go. And the thing is it takes two minutes. It's free to do. It's easy. Obviously it takes a little bit more to learn it. I, I post some on Twitter and someone's like, Oh, this is free to learn. I'm like, no, you got to invest in the course, but the more you invest in it, you know, the more levels that you do, the more likely you're going to learn it, implement it and help people with it. So that's just my little rant on getting RPR and in single six sounds very similar where a lot of people can be skeptical. But once you start using it, just try it and see what happens I, because I, you I might unlock. I was worried about how implementing it was going to go. I mean, we have never done anything like that before. Right. And we were coming off of COVID whenever I implemented it. We were just beginning to to train again. And we, we came back. And the first thing they tell you whenever you take the course is immediately implement it. You know, they want you to immediately implement it. I'm right. rolling it over. I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And the kids are beginning to get sore. And I, I'm worried that injuries are going to occur. And I said, why wouldn't I implement it right now? I, I need to do this. So how can I do it? And what the way that I did it is I pulled my kids 
kind of my senior leadership aside after practice for several sessions. And number one, I told them how to breathe correctly. And I talked about the benefits of breathing because these are these were mature kids. These are kids that are older and they understand and other other kids are going to respect them. So immediately you're going to get more buy in. And I kind of did that for about four days, just going over breathing. And they would ask me questions. Coach, why are we touching our head for our glute and, and such and such? I'd say, if you sure. really want to know, OK, I'll tell you. But, you know, don't don't think I'm crazy. I'll tell you. And uh, then we would we would do like a zone for about two or three days, and I'd move them to zone two, and into zone three. And I said, okay, it's we're ready for the uh, for the curtains to pull back. And then I had some senior leadership that was able to stand there with me and do it. And I had more kids showing everybody that was unfamiliar with the concept how to do it effectively. And I got a lot of buy-in. I didn't do it with my JV immediately. Um, and I and I kind of mentioned on my previous podcast that it was kind of like a badge of honor. I held that back for them because they probably weren't quite ready for it, but they saw the varsity doing it going, huh, what is that? Well, in the fall, whenever I worked with them individually, I taught them about it and I taught them RPR and now everybody knows how to do it. So that's just how it worked for me. I think it's all how you implement it and just don't be afraid, afraid to jump in and take steps. It works or it doesn't. I don't know why you wouldn't use it. I love it. And I use it every day. I think the step part is critical. You identified people who were most likely to receive it well, that were taking care of the other things in their life and they were ready to add something new, you know, senior leaders on the varsity. And then the message spreads better when you have other people telling, telling the other athletes, Hey, you need to do this. Like this, like makes me feel better because you just sit up there and rant, 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 rant. It's going to fall on deaf ears, but you, convince one kid you've convinced two kids you they see results they start telling other people and then that helps you spread it to other teams and other coaches and other people in the community because now I was, you have I was this. worried about the reception of it and I'm not a track coach right now I'm a powerlifting coach and they went to an indoor track meet the other day and I got a picture of them doing RPR without me there so that was very gratifying and I enjoyed that that's awesome another thing that you know coaches and parents always want is we want the you know, the, the best, we want the newest, we want the, you know, most innovative. And then when you show them something like RPR, it's like, no, 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 not like that. And not, it's like, not that far. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, that's what you're asking for. You're not going to see something that everyone knows about because we're trying to do something different. We're trying to do something new, the pattern or the, the program, the system that we have now is, is pretty good, but we want to be elite. We want to be the best. And this is what, the best are, you know, Cal Dietz does this at the U of M they're having great success and all the programs that he works with. It's like, okay, you know, he's heavily invested in this. I should probably sit, take some time, think about what are really smart people in this field doing? Maybe I should relook at it. Maybe I should step back. Maybe I should open a textbook, look at the neurology section again, that I've always skipped over because musculoskeletal seems so much better. Right. And actually, you know, audit yourself. Am I, my coaching to my strengths or my coaching to the things that are going to help the athletes the most. And maybe those aren't my strengths and I got to work on that too. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of like how I've gotten so heavy into the nervous system to begin with and speed development. I, I admittedly was weak in it and I realized I'm not giving these kids the, the best that I can possibly give them because I have something I'm comfortable with and I need to dive into it. And now I love it. I mean, I, I spend 
all of my time reading about it. And it's not that I don't still study weightlifting, I do, but now I see weightlifting through a completely different lens. And it's just so gratifying whenever you're willing to take a step out there. Uh, I had this quote wrote down the other day. I'll actually share it. It was from Henry Ford. And it came up on my email today. And I was like, that's a, that's a great quote. And it's, it said, basically, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said they wanted faster horses. And he's referring to whenever he's, he, you know, built the first, basically, uh, automobiles. So if, if you're not willing to look beyond what's right in front of you, all you're going to see is just continuing to build bigger versions of what's there, not something innovative. Absolutely. And then you have to be willing to do maybe 10 different things and maybe nine of them don't work out. And you, the 10th one hits and say, like, all right, sweet. We're going to start doing this now. And I'm going to keep finding well, so, you know, not everything's going to work. Not everything is also going to work exactly for your athletes. Maybe your athletes RPR doesn't work the best. Maybe they don't want to take time to do it, but maybe they do. And maybe that two to five minutes keeps a kid from tearing his ACL senior year and he gets a scholarship and it changes his life. And it's, it's something so easy. And I'm just going to keep banging the drum on this because I've had success with it. People I've talked to have had so much success. So I'm glad you are, you are expanding your brain and your horizons and your team's willingness to, to adapt and evolve and to incorporate that into your program. Absolutely. It's, it's been hugely been wildly beneficial for me and I, I'll, something I'll continue to bang that drum as well. And something I'm looking to grow a, a ton in, in the future. One thing I see on social media is if you're a coach and you don't coach elite athletes, or you don't have your team, don't have team success, then people just kind of write you off. Like you don't know what you're doing, but then when you have team success or you coach elite athletes, they just credit it to other factors. Like, oh, that athlete was elite anyways, or that team would have won without you. Do you find that at all? And do you find that frustrating? Uh, I, you know, I, I don't find it frustrating. I, I find it, you know, gratifying. It, it, it is what it is. And I, you know, the hand that you, that you play in it, whenever you get, whenever somebody thinks, you know, that you, that you had all the chips on your table, we, we run a very successful high school program. Uh, but for me being a high school strength coach, I feel like sometimes, again, everybody wants to look at the uh, the higher uh, scale strength coaches up there and kind of write people like that off. So it just it, it is what it is. I'm here for my own for my own research, for my own growth, for my own experience and to be better for the kids that I'm interacting with on a daily basis. I don't really get any gratification from from what other people think or or from what they think of me or my amount of followers necessarily. Let's dive into your season a little bit. You mentioned you guys ended up winning the state championship due to COVID and so many other factors. The last 12 months, high school sports have been all over the place. Talk me through your season, how preseason went, how the regular season went, how the playoffs went, and let's go that direction. It started out being really hard because we, as a team, we're like a family here, and, and we work so much together for for such an extended time of the year. Uh, that quarantine time really threw me for a loop, number one, but it, but it allowed me to step back, and it allowed me to probably slingshot my research on things uh, probably about a year's time, basically, the amount of time I was able to spend just doing my own self-research at that time. But at the same time, I was missing the kids. Uh, we were probably away from each other, I think, for roughly about two to two and a half 
half months. And during that time, you're worried, when is this ever going to get back to normal? Are we going to have a season? What's going on? Well, I had faith that we were going to have a season and I was working behind the scenes and I was, I was building basically our program for the year during that time. And, you know, we were encouraging the kids to keep the faith, texting them on a daily basis and saying, we will be back together shortly, whatever we have to do essentially. And of course, once we got back together, they had all these different regulations and, in the beginning, it's kind of intimidating. You think, how am I possibly going to run a program in this manner? And then all of a sudden you go, this is a chance to do something different than I've done previously in previous years. And it allows you just to open up the box and say, well, it doesn't have to be done like it's been done before. And because of that, it really changed the way that I feel like I programmed for kids. I feel like I took so much fluff out of my programming and I focused on how I was going to potentiate different uh, variations of movements throughout an entire day's time. And we, we had to divide our kids into groups of about 25 and we had to have multiple weight rooms running at once. And Uh, outside sessions going. And I've said it multiple times that I thought that that was going to be extremely difficult because I like to have eyes on as many players as I possibly can. But what I didn't realize being in a larger setting with uh, a huge group, I didn't have eyes on very many kids by separating into smaller groups. Whenever I interacted with my kids, I got to really interact with them uh, and really examine how every single kid on the team moves and make sure that they got the most out of their training. So in the summertime, I felt like it was ended up being such a positive thing to actually break it up into uh, smaller units. And because it gave me more time to work with kids directly. When you broke it up into smaller units, so are you saying like 25 kids came at a time and then you just rotated throughout the day or were they all in different areas of the school or location at once and you were just with one group at a time? I was with one group at a time. We're a big believer in in kind of building a family type atmosphere here. So we we run one workout in the summers in the morning, um, and kids are you know pretty much expected to be there. Uh, they're obviously if they have an excuse, they don't have to come if it's something that's that's pressing. But it, they're expected right. to be there uh, mm-hmm. because it just builds such a camaraderie between us. It, it builds the idea of team. It's a team sport. So I was interacting with one group at a time, and they would be with me for roughly about uh, twenty five to. 30 minutes. Uh, and mm-hmm. they, they had, what I did was I was in the weight room with all the rack based movements because sure. at that time I built them back up because I didn't want to throw them into triphasic immediately. So I built them up so that they were ready for the stress. And then we did implement triphasic. So I was watching all the triphasic movements very closely for the first part of that. Anything that wasn't rack based was in a separate weight room that we built off. Uh, anything that was clean or deadlift, uh, related any auxiliaries or any of those ankle holds we talked about earlier, they were happening in there. Um, sure. So I wasn't overloading them with unnecessary volume. And then we had some sprint based things going on outside. That's a really good system set up. How did it look like once you got in season during the regular season? What were your strength workouts look like? What are your speed workouts look like? Okay, so one area, like I've already said, I want to grow in is is in speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something that we necessarily uh, implemented holy this last year as far as the weight room we were running workouts on mondays and wednesdays for our kids and they were more speed strength related anyway so i had extremely light loads and we were focusing more on actually power production during that time 
Uh, I have a roughly about 25 to 30 minutes with my kids. We would do RPR and then I'm not going to overload them with volume. Uh, at that point in the season, I went from more of a bilateral stance into something that was more unilateral or split stance on almost all of my movements. Mm-hmm. And I moved it closer to how they're going to move within the parameters of their sport. So the, we focused the power production during that time. That's not to say I didn't dose uh, some max strength in there sparingly. Uh, I, I'm, I follow block methodology. So depending on the week, but I have about 25 to 30 minutes I would spend with the kids just to keep them uh, fresh and to keep them moving correctly and to keep power production high throughout the entire year. A lot of plyo-based things going on. So sure. I know that I said I didn't do speed, but we, we did some French contrast things and almost any of those speed strength things, instead of loading them with more weight, we did more plyo-based things like uh, pogos and pogo switches and uh, Russian lunges and things such as that paired with something like a split squat or a split deadlift or something of that uh, manner. Once you got into the playoffs, did those workouts change at all? They did not change. I actually lightened the load even more, and I said, let's get even faster, boys. So we we lightened it up some more. Uh, And I think the idea of peaking is, you know, misconstrued. I I won't say that we were necessarily peaking, but I was able to – I feel like you're not stressing the nervous system as much uh, by doing that. And I wanted wanted them fresh. I wanted them like racehorses coming out of the gates on Fridays. And so we lightened the loads, uh, did some banded co-contraction type work, which, again, maybe I'm not sprinting but I'm doing something that's firing the muscles very close to sprinting. So we, we lighten the loads, kept about the same amount of work and volume involved and time as well. As you developed into the off season, did you give your athletes some time off or did they, were they right back into continuing the workouts once it got to, what is your season? You got to remind me here, every state's a little bit different. Did you guys get done in December, January, November? We got done at the tail end of December, and okay. this has been quite the exceptional year. Normally, we right. get done before Christmas, right? And okay. I get me about a week to where I just get to go and kick back, relax, yeah. and, and enjoy some family time. We were playing the state championship right after Christmas, so I'm, oh, wow. I'm okay. I'm in. I'm at Christmas, and I'm thinking about my opponent. Uh, you know, that I'm about to play two days later. So that I hopefully I'll never experience that again in my life. It was unique. It was a fun experience, but uh, unlike any other year, I almost had to immediately start putting in programming and working Uh, a day or two after the state championship. I had to start building essentially. I already had the idea, but I had to start implementing and and putting things in. Uh, We work out with the kids in the last block of school so there was maybe a day or two of downtime where we talked to the kids. We always like to talk to our senior leadership and talk to kids that are going to play other sports and just kind of tell them, you know, what we're expecting of them for this coming year and, and kind of congratulate them on what they've done in our program. So we had a day or two of downtime, but we got back into things pretty quickly. Uh, but I did so in a manner, like I said, with isometric, something that wasn't going to kill them, that they were going to recover from quickly, uh, mm-hmm. because I understood we just went through a grind from uh, June all the way through December. And these kids have you know, been banged up playing sport. They've lifted a lot of weights. They've ran a lot. So let's let's ease back into this. So we started pretty close to immediately, but we eased back into it. I think the beauty of the way you've developed your programs is kids don't need a lot of time off from them, even when a season ends. So because you have tinkered with the the volume and adding in isometrics and doing the speed work and understanding this is a 12 month process, you don't need three weeks off, four weeks off, five weeks off after the football season because the kids are broken down and tired and, and burnt out. They can come in 
do some, you know, relatively lighter workouts for a couple of weeks and then get back into it and keep building off the success they had. Also, they're not deconditioned or, or, or weaker from when the season started because they have been put in the work all season. And now you're building off either maintaining or the gains you've made in season and even making more progress for the freshmen, sophomores and juniors for next year. Yeah. I love to come back into it this year and, and see the kids have such a level of fitness because that hasn't always been the case. Like admittedly, I told you, I lacked understanding about in-season programming and I would have kids that were extremely strong and then we were afraid to move weight or didn't understand how how to advance that. And by the end of the year, my kids were deconditioned. They'd lost strength. Power production was was not. Uh, so it was so gratifying to see the kids have such a high level of athleticism coming off of a season and also to be injury free and kind of fresh in a sense. How did your football coaches in the program respond to your changes in programming and training and sprinting and lifting? Number one, my 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 father is the head coach, so we have. Quite, oh wow, that's quite uh, the fun, relationship there. We have a fun relation. You know, we, I, I didn't mention that earlier. I failed to mention that. I, I got off track there. He's he is the head coach, and I and I feel like it's it's a unique situation. But he's my father, and and I'm not afraid to approach him about anything. So as I'm developing these things, he he lets me develop them in faith in the fact that. I devote, you know, my study and my time to this. I'm not just bringing in the next hot thing. I'm bringing in something that I've examined, something that I've verified and something that I really wholeheartedly believe in because I wouldn't I wouldn't make my kids do it if I hadn't done it and if I didn't fully believe in it. As far as the other coaches, they're they're very open to it because I'm a football coach as well. I'm, I coach defensive backs, but my primary sure. role is developing the athletes, keeping them injury free and all those things related to strength and conditioning. And they understand that they're primarily football coaches and they, they always come to me. What are we doing today? What am I looking for? So we have such a great working relationship. I haven't had any issues with that. I love the staff that I work with. And even if, you know, some of them think in a more, they're more accustomed to an old school manner, they understand that, I have the kids' best interest in mind, and, and we have no issues with that whatsoever. I think that helps that you have an invested interest in the team because you are a position coach as well, and I think that helps with the buy-in. Also, I'm sure the results, what the kids are telling the coaches, how they're feeling, they're running faster, they're getting stronger, you're winning more games, less injuries, all of that just kind of accumulates to, hey, this you know this sprint-based stuff, this RPR stuff, they – these isometrics where maybe they're not holding a lot of weight or some weight, or they're doing a bunch of different things that we didn't do in high school. And it's working for us. Like maybe there's something to this that we should promote and and expand upon. Absolutely. And, you know, like one of the things I feel like you focus a lot on this podcast is the idea of the growth mindset. And one of the parameters, I feel like if you're going to grow your own mind, or if you're going to try and at least introduce somebody to something. The first parameter is knowledge. So don't be afraid to share knowledge with people. I talk to my, we all teach at the school together and we spend countless hours up here. So I'm always imparting things that, that I saw uh, and things that I've heard and we'll kind of converse on that. So I think the first uh, parameter for establishing a growth mindset in yourself as well in others is looking at knowledge and it has to be passed along if it's not passed along it just stays dormant it's not shared it's not expanded upon so in order to foster a growth mindset with yourself and with others i feel like you have to share the knowledge and be willing to share that's the number one reason i want to start this podcast uh with with brad because we were learning all this stuff we were listening to other podcasts we're doing courses like you do we're working with athletes and 
and in general population and we're learning all this stuff and we don't know is there other ways to do it or we we're not sharing with anyone and that doesn't help if you know all the information in the world but you just sit in your house and just complain no one else is doing what you do that's not helping anybody so and i do think with a growth mindset i think there's so much interest in that now because growing up everything was so black and white you know two plus two is four capital of minnesota is st paul and you're just structured to find there is one answer there is one solution to do this and then you get into college or you get into your career and there's a hundred different ways to do it and some ways are better some ways are worse some ways are equally the same they're just completely different based on what you value and your perspective and strength conditioning is no different there's so many different ways to get an athlete ready for their sport and you just got to figure out what works best for you your program your athletes and what you guys what the goal is ultimately yeah absolutely uh, for, you know I, I gotta you know throw a little bit of love to you guys i i jumped into your podcast i want to say during quarantine time uh shamelessly I, f- I found coach growth through tony holler and i found you guys through tony holler as well i believe it was and i stumbled upon something that was that was really cool because i feel like i've watched you guys grow in such an organic nature and that's why i really enjoyed you guys podcast because uh, I just feel like y'all's growth throughout the time and and what you the content you guys have, are beginning to put out is just really valuable and I've gotten so much out of it. So I've really enjoyed your podcast a ton. And just expanding on that growth mindset, I talk to my kids normally. If I have time, I always try to make a little bit of time to talk to my kids after they work out just to kind of set the tone for how I felt the workout went and just maybe impart a little bit of knowledge on in, into them, something that's on my mind. And I've talked to them about growth mindset uh, multiple times. And I told them, you know, that the champions have a growth mindset. And really, whenever you look at a growth mindset, either have a growth mindset or you have a fixed mindset is, is what I found. And to dive into the fixed mindset, first off, I feel like with a fixed mindset, you're either overconfident or either you don't believe in yourself. If you have a fixed, uh, you have a fixed idea of self, because Mm -hmm. if you're overconfident, you feel like you don't need to work on anything else. And therefore your abilities stay fixed. If you're underconfident, you don't believe enough in yourself that I can get better and what I direct myself towards. So to me, you have to understand the idea of what fixed is first and in the misconception and what people don't realize is nothing stays fixed. The world around me is evolving all the time. So I told the kids, if you have a fixed mindset, realize it's not fixed. It's either growth or regression. There's a small transition period in between growth and regression. And you're going to slowly regress as you continue to buy into a fixed mindset and you don't believe that you need to grow or you don't believe that you're capable of growing. Whereas people with a growth mindset are hopeful, they're optimistic, and they they realize that there's always something to learn. You can learn from anybody. I've learned things from people that I thought I would never learn from, uh, people completely and totally outside of my field. I find inspiration in so many different places. And the growth mindset is not fixed. The growth mindset says that today is another opportunity, another chance to learn, be what it may. I appreciate the kind words. I also really like the point that if you just stay where you are, the world is evolving and progressing and will pass you by. So just to keep up with the rate of change, you need to evolve. It's very similar in finance. If you have a dollar bill in 20 years, the dollar bill won't be worth the same because of inflation. So you need a way, find a way to invest it, to make it more money for you, whether that's in real estate or in stocks or in a business. And your mindset has to be the same way. You have to be invested 
in learning and connecting in implementing what you learned and the knowledge that you are gaining from the other people and resources that you've invested in. So thank you again for the kind words. I really appreciate you jumping on the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Congratulations on a great season. I hope you guys repeat your success next year. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It was a joy uh, conversing with you, man. And I look forward to listening to even more of your content in the future.